EU Futures Podcast, a project of the Center for the Study of Europe at Boston University. Welcome to the EU Futures Podcast, exploring the emerging future in Europe. I'm Oya Jordanian, an outreach coordinator at BU Center for the Study of Europe. Today is April 12th, and I talk to Mario Tello, a member of Royal Academy of Science of Belgium, a president emeritus of the Institute of European Studies of the Free University of Brussels. Professor Tello also teaches at Luis Guido Carli University of Rome. I am a member of the Royal Academy of Science, Belgium, and uh, Emeritus President of the Institute of European Studies, Brussels, ULB, where I still teach international relations. In uh, spring term, I teach also in Rome, uh, the Luis Guido Carli University uh, European Institutions. Great. So, what do you think? What future is now emerging in the European Union? The future is quite uh, challenging because on the same time, uh, Europe is coping uh, with uh, five simultaneous crises. The economic and financial crisis started in 2010 in Europe. Secondly, the implications in terms of Eurosceptical movements, parties and leadership in many countries. Number three, the tendency towards a dis- political di- disintegration symbolized by the Brexit and the UK- United Kingdom uh, trend. And the four, number four, the, the combination of the immigrant challenge with the dramatization of the refugee issue coming from Syria in 2015 and 2016. Finally, Europe is confronted to a urgent security challenge after the terrorist attacks in many European cities. Not only so security issue is not only at the eastern border, problem of uh, relations with Putin, Russia, but also at the southern and particularly the relations with the Islamic world and notably the Islamist terrorism. So five uh, crises simultaneous. And that is uh, the, the, the challenge uh, uh, to cope with. Only provided that this, cha- this challenge are really seriously addressed by a new leadership, a new institutional organization, Europe can get out of the current difficult, very difficult transition, the worst one in the history of the European Union. And uh, I think uh, some opportunities are there. But we need a new uh, institutional architecture of the European Union. And that, that is the reason why I insist very much on the idea of strengthening the hard core of the European Union around the European Monetary Union, the, the common currency, and surrounded by several circles. One is the European Union, another one is the European Economic Area. And uh, this uh, hardcore should be responsible for monetary issues, for foreign policy, for security issues, and even should be the, 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 the room for liberty, freedom, and uh, free movement of people, the Schengen, the Schengen area. We should, we should uh, 
try to elaborate a new architecture without changing the treaty, because changing the treaty is a too long and too complex enterprise, taking 10 years in the, your pre our previous experience. So no government is now willing to change the treaty, to reform the treaty. So we have to work on the basis of the, the legal basis of the Treaty of Lisbon, uh, signed in 2007, 10 years ago. Uh, but the Lisbon Treaty is allowing what is called enhanced cooperation or closure cooperation among a, 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 closer, a smaller group of states. I think this smaller group is the European Monetary Union uh, group. Uh, this should be the, the leader of European uh, integration. The others, the others will have different duties but also different rights. If, uh, for instance, the UK citizens decide in June to, that they want, uh, they, they, they want to exit, they will stay in the third circle and not in the second. The option for the British citizens is to be either in the second European Union or in the third European economic area like Norway. Uh, whereas they will not be part of the hardcore because they like to look every day in the, in the money, the, the face of the Queen Elizabeth. So they, they will never be member of the common currency. How do you, there is there is a rise in nationalism, nationalism yes. parties, populism across the European yes. Union. Uh, I, I don't need to explain to an institute of global studies that uh, European studies are part of global studies. They cannot be separate, distinguished from global studies. The global issues are part of the European issues. So we cannot analyze the five challenges I mentioned before without taking into account the global context. In the global context, uh, we, have, we are in a post-hegemonic world based on multipolarism. Among the, the new poles, there is the, new, the revival of the Russian power politics at our border, and the outer border, the revival of the Turkish power politics, and the third, the violence of the Islamic terrorism. To cope with these three challenges, we need to strengthen the European cooperation in all these uh, security, economic, and uh, currency fields. Uh, and uh, the, the tendency toward uh, fragmentation, Euroscepticism, and uh, nationalism should be seen as an influence of external uh, strategies of European fragmentation, like the Putin uh, one, in, within Europe. So Putin is funding many of the Eurosceptical right-wing parties, Marine Le Pen in France, Salvini in Italy, and other uh, extreme right movements are funded by Putin and look to Putin as the symbol of an authoritarian temptation which is uh, increasingly diffused in Europe. It's not only in part... So analyzing Eurosceptical parties should not be the task only of social scientists, but it's a matter of power politics, and political science and international relations. So we could not ignore that someone is using Eurosceptical trends in order to dilute, divide, and fragment the European Union.
So we are in the very middle of a struggle for global power. One clarification. Did you mean that Putin directly funds this project? Yes, 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 yes. And uh, funding, and secondly, uh, is uh, the, let me say, kind of uh, model in terms of criticism of the democratic liberalism and uh, the, its values of openness, values of openness to the immigration, openness to trade. They are protectionist against trade openness. They are uh, for a European fortress, no national fortress within Europe, against openness and integration of immigrants and refugees. So they share the main values of uh, Vladimir Putin. So these, uh, they are national or subnational demagogues using fears, manipulating fears of people in order to change the power structure in Europe and destroy the European Union. That is the, the political issue at stake. I emphasize very much we are facing a political challenge. It's not a kind of, let me say, uh, challenge for electoral studies. We are beyond the electoral studies. We are discussing about power issues and security issues. Coming from what you said, mm. how do you see the future of EU-Russian relationship as a, as, a, as a major country on eastern border, which the European Union cannot ignore by any way? Yes. So. I think Putin-Russian is a big danger because they, they use... Uh, a foreign policy typical of the 19th century, not the 20th century, the bipolar world, the, the opposition between the United States and Soviet Union, but the 19th century power politics, where they don't care of, about uh, changing the borders, for instance, like they did in Ukraine. They are doing unacceptable things, like the war in, in, in eastern Ukraine, and uh, even uh, their uh, behavior in the Middle East, uh, in spite of converging with some of our interests, is very problematic under many respects. For instance, the way they bombed cities, destroyed, killing a thousand, thousand people, we are innocent, they are not all terrorists. So this, this uh, kind of military power politics of Putin is absolutely unacceptable. However, we learn from our history particularly from Willy Brandt Ostpolitik in the 60s and 70s, that the best way to change the neighbors and the best way to revive a dialogue with Russia is cooperating with Russia. So we have to make a policy of uh, opening, opening and cooperation, reviving cooperation under the condition that Russia step back from Ukraine and uh, come back to a multilateral approach to international relations, like the, the, Russia did for 20 years after the end of the Soviet Union. Do you see that possible in the near future? It's our policy. We should, it's the policy of the High Representative for Foreign Policy of the European Union, Federica Mogherini. Very, very, to be very firm on, on the principle, but on the other end, to look for ways of reestablish a kind of dialogue with Putin, uh, because uh, you you don't you don't choose you don't choose your neighbors. Our neighbors is Russia and the, the Arabs. We have to find a kind of uh, uh, way of uh, of cooperating with them. So uh, this is the reason why 
we needed to combine idealism and realism. We have to find a kind of uh, compromise in international relations with the, the neighbors we have for geographical reasons. We, we cannot, unfortunately, select our neighbors because they are part of a geographic reality, geopolitical reality. Again, a question coming off your statement about uh, the, one of the security problems the European mm. Union currently faces related to Turkey. Mm. And how do you see the relationship with Turkey in the near future? How is how, how European Union going to address this, this challenge? We cannot uh, choose our neighbors. Turkey is our neighbor. Two, two million and a half of uh, Syrian refugees are in Turkey. If we want to address the question of the refugees, we have to have a deal with Turkey. So I totally support the leadership of, of Angela Merkel looking for an agreement with Turkey. Of course, uh, we, we have to have an agreement which is, uh, uh, let me say, uh, in harmony with the international law, the Geneva Convention, the Article 33 regarding the right of refugees. But on the other hand, we have to, to diminish the number of refugees in Europe because of the issue at stake is to save our democracy. If we have one million refugees every year, even the best political system cannot stick to democracy. We have in every country, including in Germany, the rise of extreme right movements, particularly in Eastern Germany, and we needed to diminish the number of refugees, of refugees, and to select the people who have a legal right to accede to Europe. And then we have to bring them in Europe by plane, not with these tragedies of children dying in in boats with these traffickers of human being. We have to fight against this traffic. The worst, one of the worst phenomena is the, this uh, traffic of human beings, and uh, organize in Turkey the selection of the people who have right to come to Europe as a refugee. This we can, we we should, we have started uh, bringing them in Europe by plane in in safe conditions, and the the one who have no right, we provide Turkey with uh, six million. 6 billion, sorry, 6 billion euros in order to, the Turkey has to organize camps, schools, hospitals for them with the money of the European Union, but the money will be provided under projects, not, let me say, as a kind of uh, white uh, trust for Turkey. We don't trust very much Turkey and we have to check the, how Turkey will spend every single euro, which is provided by the European Union in the two years to come. My, my, my last question, um, what's, what's your vision of Europe, ideally, in an ideal world, what kind of European Union would you like yes. to see in, in 10 years or 15 years? Uh, my, my ideal is very linked to what I think is possible, because I don't like very much people making a kind of propaganda for ideals which are totally disconnected from the reality. The reality is that whatever we like or not, for instance, I come from the federalist tradition of Altiero Spinelli in Italy, the federal Europe is a kind of second United States, United States of Europe looks as impossible. 
because you look at the Treaty of Lisbon, look at the behavior of the Eastern European countries. This uh, a dream of the founding fathers is it was very important as a driving factor for 40 years, and is still is important, but cannot be accomplished in the foreseeable time. So we need uh, to have an original construction, which is uh, on the one hand uh, supranational, on the other hand intergovernmental, and also offering a new modes of governance which are between the intergovernmental and the supranational mode, like the open method of coordination, the coordination of national policies. That is the, the, the best way forward in order to improve the efficiency and legitimacy of the European Union, particularly in economic governance, in security governance, and so on. So it's, a, it's an original model. It's not a copy of the, of the United States. It's an original model typical of a regional organization of neighboring states and society, which is particularly sophisticated in legal terms, in institutional terms, uh, respecting uh, the needs of uh, further legitimacy at both levels, national and supranational. But and, uh, by that, Europe could be, again, an example for other regional entities like ASEAN, Mercosur, or African regional organizations. You talked about the open method of coordination. Yes. It's, it's currently applied in the European Union. Yes. Do you find it effective? Or whatever you are talking about, it should be another altered altered form of the open, currently exercised open method of coordination? Uh, for uh, I, I was part of the group inventing the open method of coordination with Maria Joao Rodriguez in year 2000. And, uh, of course, the, the method has limits because it's not constraining as the community method. It's not so constraining because uh, the, the way of, do, of, uh, of influencing the state's policy is by recommendation, which are not constraining like European law. However, we had very little choice because the United Kingdom and other countries, they don't want to apply the community method to, to crucial policy areas. So the only way ahead, including in economic governance, is the coordination between national, economic, social, innovation policies. This is the only way ahead. And of course, we could provide the open metro coordination with further incentives or further uh, tools in order to be more efficient than in the past. For instance, in the economic governance issue, the European semester can be considered as a form of open method of coordination, controlling the, the uh, national budget draft before they are approved by national parliaments. Uh, the way is to uh, stimulate the national governments to to, to draft budget which are not in contradiction with the stability of the whole Eurozone. That is the, the main goal. And as a kind of stick, not only the carrot, but the stick, we have the possibility of European Commission to start a procedure of infraction. That is new, because this kind of threat, kind of control from above, is, is new in terms of... Uh, revising the soft law of the, Euro the open method of coordination. 
And that because the, the, the issue is very sensitive and Germany will never accept to provide more solidarity through the European uh, mechanism of, uh, of uh, stability, the 900 billions, and other mechanism of solidarity without increasing in the, simultaneously the way of control, the modes of governance controlling from above by a multilateral process within the Council, with the help of the Commission and the control of the European Parliament, the way how the states uh, correctly and uh, consistently implement the European guidelines. Futures Podcast, a project of the Center for the Study of Europe at Boston University, funded by a Getting to Know Europe grant from the European Commission delegation in Washington, D.C. 